had to come all the way from the highways and byways of Tallahassee, Florida to Motor City, Detroit to find my true love. If you gave me a million years to ponder, I would never have guessed that true romance in Detroit would ever go together. All right, folks, welcome back to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 98, and today we're going to be talking about true romance. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark, don't call me Clarence, Slover. <laughs> After we review this movie, I am not interested in getting pie with you boys. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, Nothing good happens after a movie if you have pie. No, it's not. And, uh, God, and folks, we didn't, uh, we didn't coordinate this. And also joining us is our other very good dear friend, Ken. I like pie. <laughs> <laughs> I do we like don't. pie, but, you know, as I've commented to you guys, you know, you know, you guys are married, you have children, you have relationships. I lead this lonely life. I mean, this podcast, it's the highlight of my life. So, I mean, the listeners know what a, what a horrible life I have. I, I need to do something to, you know, get some romance in my life to go find love. Where, you know, so I'm thinking, where, where does love blossom? And then I saw this movie and I realized that's it. So once we're done, I'm packed up and I'll be moving to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Because, you know, they only showed the finest parts of Detroit and they've only gotten worse. Oh yeah, this was back 20 years ago when it was still thriving. Yeah. Well, what was that? It reminded me of the spoof that they did. I don't remember what the sci-fi uh, spoof that they did. It, it, when it, <laughs> yes. Remember yeah. they yeah. were showing like the aliens? Scary movie. Yeah, scary no. movie. Yeah, it's something like, like that. Aliens destroying Detroit. They go, no, that it was like what the what Detroit looked like before, and then it looked like after the aliens went through, and he didn't. <laughs> It looked the same. Yeah, like, oh, no, oh no, that was before the aliens got there. Oh God, yeah, it's like wow. Does that city always look like that? So anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our other very good and dear friend and favorite penny on the rail, Jeff, you're a cantaloupe. Muncie is unfortunately unable to be here today, uh, or at least at the uh, the moment. Spoke with him earlier in the week, and he said, actually told me in strict confidence that he completely forgot he had plans this Friday. And I asked him, I said, well, what plans do you have? He goes, Valentine's Day. And I said, oh, you guys still do something there. Well, he hasn't talked to me since, so he may show up. I, I don't know. If he does, we will welcome him with open arms. Anyway, we are doing uh, this movie, True Romance, and our very good and dear friend, Ken, Recommended this last week because uh, we've had some um, uh, scheduling changes in terms of the movies that we've been doing because Netflix is not being uh, kind to us in ter- uh, with uh, actually what they're streaming and what's available on DVD. And uh, Ken, in his infinite wisdom, said, uh, you know, Valentine's Day is Friday. Let's do True Romance. And this is kind of a guy movie. This is definitely a uh, guy movie <laughs> with romance in it. Wouldn't you say, gentlemen? Why don't you give the IMDB summary, and then we can talk about it. You know what, Ken? Thank you for saying that, because I actually have a special introduction to this movie. True Romance. Clarence marries Hooker, Alabama, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood while the owners of the coke try to reclaim it. Directed by Tony Scott and starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken, and Dennis Hopper. 
So what do you think, gentlemen? That's the synopsis. My special guest. Who's the special guest? I love it. You don't know who that is? Yes. I think I do. (laughs) Your darling wife. Yes, that was my darling wife. I I love the soundtrack in the background. That's the music from the movie. It is. I thought that would be a nice little special treat that everybody know what the music's like. It's got a nice little soundtrack. It's got a great beat. The kids can dance to it, and I really liked it. I think she needs to be a regular addition to the show. (laughs) I told her she needs to start doing some uh, voiceover work because – I had like so many variations of the different accents that she was doing and thinking I could probably farm her out to, uh, you know, some of the different commercial companies and, uh, but she wasn't hearing about it. So she needs to do our intro intros for our IMDB readoffs for every one of our shows from this point forward. Well, I'm going to have to work on that. Well, well I let the tradition start. You got to keep it up. <laughs> That's what I told her. <laughs> she's in the club. She's uh, married to you. God knows. That's why she's a trooper. Poor woman. Yeah, she's, Hi, Deb. Yeah, she ain't even passing go to go to heaven. She just right there. You know, St. Peter's going to look at her and go, yeah, move her on. In. Yeah, just get what you're already We have an express lane for you. Mm-hmm. First class. Fast pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's got the fast pass. Are you right. sure that's not a multi-pass? <laughs> Debbie Michaels, multi-pass. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. Ken, great uh, recommendation for this one. I have not seen this in a long time. I mean, like I said, it's probably been about uh, at least 15 years. And yeah, this is one that was on cable all the time back in the day. This came out, what, 92 or 93? 93. And, yeah, I saw it a lot, and then it's vanished. And I think there's a lot of our listeners that probably have never seen this because it is a very early, one of Tarantino's first movies. He didn't actually produce it. He wrote it. Mm-hmm. Well written, good characters. I'm going to do one thing, and I'm going to shut up. And let you guys talk for a while. And although you talked about the stars, I want to just read through some of the cast in a little more detail because this is a movie. It's one of these movies where a lot of well-known actors and actresses were in it just as they were coming up. They're you know it's their early work, and it's great seeing them as young. Young, fresh talent. So I'm just going to read down real fast. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Michael Rappaport, Bronson Pinchot, Saul Rubinek, Dennis Hopper, James Gandolfini, Gary Oldman, Christopher Walken, Chris Penn, Tom Sizemore, Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer, Samuel L. Jackson, and about a dozen more. Yeah, I mean, that's when you think about it, that is a huge, huge cast. And for those of you, when you heard the name Samuel Jackson, unless you're really paying attention and listening to his voice, you wouldn't even recognize him in the movie because uh, he's in there for what, about five minutes, if that setting up the initial scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah this this movie should have been called True Romance of the Cameos. Yeah, <laughs> because Brad Pitt, if you don't pay attention, like that's Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's Brad Pitt, and he. But don't what? don't you love that character? Oh, oh well, yeah, but he he's all on for maybe five minutes total, you know. And what I love now is people like um, Michael Rappaport, who, if you watch Justified, mm-hmm. is Daryl Crow. Yeah, and you know, it's like it's great to see him when he was in his early early work. Well, but, you know, let's 
let's back up on that a little bit because when we talk about you know the the role of the cameos, really the probably the guy that was your well known actors at that point were probably Christian Slater, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, a lot of these other guys. I mean, the ones that we mentioned. I mean, when you think about it, ninety three. Did anybody really know who Brad Pitt was? I mean, he he was doing some stuff, but I mean, he was just breaking through. Brad Pitt really broke through, I think, and really got on the radar screen for a lot of people with Thelma and Louise, and that was like a, yes. a year and a half before this. Yeah. But he is definitely fresh talent. Yeah. See, and I think that's the thing. It's like we look at this now because, again, this is 20, well, 20, 20 or 21 years ago. We recognize literally every freaking person in this movie. Oh, these guys are all top actors. Well, at the time, there's probably three or four top actors Gary Oldman had done Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah and he had he had done a number of movies so he was he was known and but again if you don't pay attention you don't recognize Gary Oldman in the movie he is an excellent he plays one of the most malevolent characters you've seen in a movie in a long time yeah I mean he he is um (laughs) because I remember the first time I saw it I've kind of like it I I still remember looking back seeing this movie and at the time i remember that that character gary oldman and then but i was i never made the connection that that was the guy to actually play dracula right because the transformation and the way he acts the way he looked and everything uh yeah like i said you know never made the connection mr obvious it i mean he's such a good actor i mean he just inhabits the roles that he plays what do you think guys uh i don't remember were you guys both on the pulp fiction review i can't remember yeah. I was. Everybody was, wasn't it? I thought we all did. We all were there. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of has a Pulp Fiction feel to it. I mean, you can kind of tell watching this thing that, ah, I bet this is, you know, the way it's going, it's like, ah, it sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it just looks and feels like it. Um, And especially with the music. And we'll get in the soundtrack a little bit later. But, you know, I got to give, you know, Tarantino credit. I mean, if there's one thing he can't do, he can't act, but. Boy, that guy can write a story, and boy, he can write a script. I I can't cite an authority on this, but I read somewhere fairly recently that this whole story was originally one of the storylines in Pulp Fiction. It was going to be interwoven with all the others, but then it was, he just thought, well, this is such a big thing, and besides, this is a good story, I'll just do it on my own. So he pulled it out. Oh. You know, and it has that feel. It, it oh, feels like a backstory to Pulp Fiction because I was watching this, and that's real interesting you said that, Ken, because you read my mind. I'm watching this movie going, this feels like part of Pulp Fiction that got cut out. That's a great way to describe this. That and is, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just feels like it's, a, okay, it's Yeah, it's they had a they ran out of time and chop something out. Yeah, yeah, and he looked at it and said, okay, I'll just make it into a movie and flesh it out. It just had that feel throughout. I'm looking at this going... All these characters were supposed to be in Pulp Fiction, but somehow they didn't make it there. Yeah, well, again, I can't say with 100% certainty that that's the story here, but I read it once, and it fits. Right, it right. feels that way. Yeah, it just it just has that vibe about it, and that's not a bad thing. It's just it, it's kind of it, it. If you watch Pulp Fiction and then watch this movie, I think it would be interesting to watch those two movies back to back and go, okay. It almost feels like this movie was happening at the same time Pulp Fiction was occurring. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. two sides of the same coin in the same town. 
the cops are dealing with this issue when they should be dealing with a gimp in a chest. <laughs> yeah, but they both involve a, a suitcase with something in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. There, You know, you got the whole suitcase thing. Oh, did you guys notice the part about the, this is a really good burger? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got that quote, too, because it's just like that. He Quentin must have a thing about burgers, good burgers. Well, the, the signature Quentin Tarantino that's not in this movie because he didn't direct it is feet. Because if this had been him directing it, he would have had Arquette's feet because he's got a foot fetish. Yeah dangling all over the place yep. in, in any panning shot that he could put her in. <laughs> i tell you what, Patricia Arquette was a cutie back then. I mean, she's still cute now. I mean, she's yeah, she's a few years older than me, so, but, I mean, she was, uh, she was a little cutie there. Yeah, she was just coming up. She was in her early 20s in this, and, of course, she's a part of the whole, you know, Arquette clan. I mean, I think there's half a dozen Arquettes that have made their mark in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the Pen Clan. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about this movie that I I, I think that the thing that I, I think it's a solid movie. What I really had a problem with with this movie, since we're talking about actors, was it's not that Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette are bad actors. They're solid, but they just weren't very compelling to me. I, I didn't really give a rat's ass one way or another what happened to these two. Really? From, oh, I didn't care. I didn't care, and I also kind of was bugged by their acting or lack thereof. I just didn't, because I'm watching all these other actors around them, and I'm not saying they did a bad job, but I just, personally to me, I'm watching them going, meh, they're solid, but they're, they just didn't, in, they didn't incite any real appeal. Um, and I thought, eh, if they die, meh, okay, because they really weren't protagonists to me. They're just two chuckleheads who, you know, and that's a Quentin Tarantino thing, but they're two chuckleheads who got a lot of other people killed. But I'm just, I'm just glad Dick Ritchie got out of there. <laughs> I, I like Dick Ritchie. What you know? What what a great name! That is like one of the best names in the world. But I'm just saying that you know, watching this movie again, I'm not a huge Christian Slater fan or Patricia Arquette fan. I don't think they're great actors. They're solid, but I just and I. I'm not saying that they had to work with the script they had, but I just, I didn't really care for them as actors, and I really didn't have any emotional tie to their characters. So there was a couple parts where I'm like, all right, you two are stupid, dumb, in love, or dumb, stupid, in love, or in love, dumb, and stupid. Take your pick. And I really didn't give a rat's ass what happened to them, and I was kind of getting annoyed because they left a trail of bodies wherever they went, and they didn't create the bodies. A lot of other people died because of these two yahoos. I, I I can't argue with your point, but I'm not going to say meh. I thought they did a fine job. I mean, I I, I thought I you know they pulled, sort of pulled me in, and I was interested to see where they went. It just and I'm not saying again. I just was like, they, they, I liked the movie. Those two, I just they were kind of like okay, they're serviceable. Well, there's a thing where we, we I, you know, I read off that big long list of you know the the, the actors and actresses in this movie. They're up they're up in right. with a bunch of first rate, right, co actors, and so it's not like a lot of movies where it's like oh here's the leading man the leading woman and you know Joe Schmo and Mary Doe the supporting characters and this the the supporting characters are as much of a movie. 
uh, Tarantino does a great job of, you know, fleshing out these characters to where, you know, they've got their own life. They've got their own, I mean, in just a little bit of time, he builds characters that you, at least that I, you know, invested a little in. I want to see where they went, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and, and some of them went somewhere. Most of them didn't go anywhere for long. Because, again, a reason that we said this is a, a romance that a guy could like, it's a bloody as hell movie. Oh, God. <laughs> you got that right. And boy, if, if you, if, if you, um, if you got issues with spousal abuse, uh, and, and beating up your girlfriend or having somebody beat a woman up, man, this movie will do it. Well, he did. Took a licking and keep on ticking. No, I'm talking about her. She took a beating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard scene to watch when, uh, well, that's the other dude, uh, the guy from The Sopranos. The one James Gandolfini. Gandolfini. Yeah, James Gandolfini. Very, very young James Gandolfini. Very thin James Gandolfini. Uh, very, very thin. But again, a very menacing James Gandolfini. Yep. Yeah, that dude was creepy. Yep. No, when you, when you walk in your hotel room and James Gandolfini is sitting there on the chair with a shotgun in his lap, you know you're going to have a bad day. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to get lippy to him. Well, I, but you know, it was one of those where she, you know, he was kind of like, "You're, you're a trooper. You know, you've got yeah. some, uh, you got some spunk in you." But yeah, that's a, yeah. If it, if it's one of those things, guys, where, it, and I, and I'm one of those too. I remember sitting there watching this movie, and I'm just like, "Man, I just want to see this guy just get cut the ribbons," because yeah, there's one thing I cannot stand to see is a woman getting beat up like that, and it just it bothers me. It really just gets under my skin. And even in a movie, even when I know it's just acting in a movie, it just oh, you're just one of those like, OK, somebody just kneecapped this guy. Um, well, I, I will say, I don't think that that character went in that room saying, I'm going to like, you know, beat a woman within an inch of her life. It was just he thought I'll pop her in the face and she'll talk and she wouldn't talk. And then she got lippy with him. She just I mean, again, it was he couldn't he could not get it out of her he just wanted some information i don't i think if she would have just spilled her guts he would have walked and that would have been the end of it man he had killed her and then that would have been the end of it yeah, i don't know i don't I don't know about that now these guys were pretty much killing anybody that came they came in there uh, yeah you're right because yeah, he, he, he told her he said you know the first time i killed somebody i threw up the second time it got yeah. easier yeah. now I, mean, I just like to look I, see how they I, die. I look at who he's working for yeah he would have killed her yeah i mean he was he was enjoying his work I mean, he yeah, was, okay. I mean, I'll take it all back. Yeah. The, he was, he was definitely a psycho in this movie. So, but uh, yeah. So again, there's another one, folks. I mean, nobody knew who he was in 1993. Um, we talked about some of the actors in this one. I mean, we talked about the plot. They get together, steal some Coke, move on. Uh, they got the mob coming after him. Well, I think it's kind of important that they don't steal Coke. They have no clue what they've got. They didn't actually, they weren't trying to steal anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It, it just sort of happened. Well, yeah, that's right. Because he thought it was, uh, he thought it was Alabama's clothes and they realized it was a suitcase full of cocaine. Yeah. So they figured, well, we got to sell it. Although, that, did that look like more than, uh, $200,000 worth of cocaine? Well, he said it was actually mil is over a million dollars worth of cocaine, but he was going to sell it cheap just to get money and move on. That was a big discount there. Yeah, of course that'd be like half a million dollars today. Yeah, and and the and you know the movie 
it, it's kind of simplistic for us to say, yeah, they, they found some, they stumbled upon some coke and headed out west and went to sell it and had the mob chasing after them. Folks, all that is, that's the 30-second trailer. No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's how they got the coke, who they got the coke from, who helped them get to California, and then people just walk in and walk out of this movie on the way to California. And then once you get there, you know, that's when it really gets interesting with the number of people who stop having cameos. Right. And settle into this movie. Speaking of walking in and walking out, it's a miracle that Brad Pitt's Floyd character lived. Because he just sort of sat in that couch and people just kept walking in and walking out. But you know what? The thing of it is, you actually don't know if he actually lived or not. I like the well, thing he did. I, I think he, he did. A, he was a stoner. Well, you kind of wonder because, I mean, he had, there was four guys standing around with guns pointed at him. And it's not, I mean, even though he was, you know, lit to the gills, none of those guys ever dropped their weapons. So you almost wondered, did they just like whack him just so, all right, well, don't. Actually, you got a point. Maybe they did. Yeah. Maybe they did. Yeah. Don't leave a living witness. I mean, I don't. Although, although he was stoned to the gills, and they may have looked at him and said he couldn't get up off the couch if he tried. Yeah, he couldn't so. ideas either. Right, <laughs> right. Who? Huh? So yeah, so yeah, it's one of those. It, it's great. Now, uh, two of the guys that I want to mention real quick that I thought just stole the movie were Bronson Pinchot as Elliot Blitzer mm-hmm. and Saul Rubinek. Mm-hmm. As, I, I love Saul Rubinek. He is a great character actor, and he's just—he's just your typical Hollywood director, producer, piece of shit in this movie. Oh yeah. Well, actually, he really is an, a producer and director. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he's a very accomplished actor too, and a good actor. But yeah, he—he yeah. he did a great job. Yeah. I mean, that character—I mean, you totally believe it. What exactly is Bronson Pinochet doing? Did I say it right? Did I screw up something else? His name? Pinchot. You know what he is? You know what he does? He is in very high demand. And I've listened to some of his um, uh, audio work. He is, he reads audiobooks, unabridged audiobooks. And he is incredible. He is an incredible voice actor. Really? Oh my God. If, um, if you're a fan of Larry Correa's Monster Hunter series, and you want to listen to it, I highly recommend it because he does the voice work because he does, he just doesn't read the book. He does voices. He is a very accomplished, um, you know, it's a new niche. Guys reading unabridged novels or books, and he is very good at it. Yeah, he was actually very, I mean, he was, uh, when this movie was made, I think he was probably one of the better known actors because I forget what the show was, but he was in a sitcom. You know, a, a big sitcom at that time for a yeah. while. Yeah, I yeah. remember that, and I can't remember he, his name was Belky or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in this character, in this movie, he was a you know aspiring actor who was essentially working as an assistant to Blitzer, the producer, which meant you know he did he just ran errands for him and did did crap. He's a gopher. And, and, and called him at inappropriate times on Sundays. Yeah, never call him Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> on the cell phone. Right. Which is, that's right out of Pulp Fiction. Right. Are you talking to me on the cellular phone? Prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> but yeah, he's, uh, he and those two are great because they drive the second half of this movie. Yes, they do. Well, mm-hmm. and well, I, and you have to, I will say, if 
if you're a listener and you're watching this, pay attention to Pinchot and just his face and his body language. <laughs> he is in a very uncomfortable position. <laughs> yes. And, and, he, and it really comes through. Yes. Yeah, you see that throughout the thing. He, especially when he gets uh, caught by the cops. <laughs> oh God! With the coke all over him, and and folks, like I said, we're we're kind of talking around this movie because, uh, like Ken said, probably a lot of you may not have seen this one, so we're not trying to spill the beans on what's going on. So we're kind of talking around it. Uh, for those of you who have seen the movie, you know exactly what we're talking about. So. We highly recommend uh, those of you who haven't seen it, definitely go see this. It's definitely worth it. And it's and you know what? Tell your wives or girlfriends that it's a chick flick. There's It's romance and everything. The They'll romance, love it. Yeah. It is. It really is. What? Just curious, Steve. I know you're a big Gary Oldman fan. What did yes. you think of uh, Drexel Spivey? <laughs> Spivey. I, you know what? I tell you what. I love his – I love that character. It's awesome. He is – you know, Mark made a comment earlier. I mean, he was he was menacing in it. He is just anything that Gary Oldman is in. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies that he's in, uh, more of his recent ones, not some of the earlier stuff. But he is one of those actors. He's a very underrated actor, and we talked about that before. And as a matter of fact, he is the only actor that we actually did a um, um, what the hell do we call it? An act- retrospective. Yeah, an actor homage. Uh, we actually talked about him as an actor on this show and the guy has got fantastic range. He can pretty much do anything. And I still remember when I first saw this and I mentioned it earlier in the show, I was like, God, who is this dude? I mean, he's got the dreadlocks and the scars and the face and everything like that. And turned out, um, and, and in the movie, uh, true romance, he's playing a white guy who either thinks he's black or is trying to be black because he's, you know, he has the dreadlocks, he's uh, darker skin, but he's white and he's talking jive and all this stuff. And I remember watching that. And I'm thinking, who is this dude? And then later you find out, um, you know, it's Gary Oldman, this Englishman from, you know, Sheffield on the lake of somewhere in England. And it's like, wow, this guy's fantastic. I mean, I've seen him in a ton of stuff. And I love the dude. I mean, he is a fantastic actor because he can pretty much do anything. And I don't want to turn this into the Gary Oldman podcast again, but I, I love this portrayal in this. And unfortunately, it was too it was too uh, short. Hell, I had to, had, to get, get, had to get things moving though. He had a great start. He provided a solid beginning, you know, as a pro, as an antagonist for the start of this movie, just to get it to a jump start. Oh, absolutely. You could have done a movie just on him alone. Yes, you could have. Well, and the guy we didn't see enough of was one of our favorite wacky character actors. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Announce him. Frankenstein never scared me. <laughs> Marsupials do. Because they're fast. Christopher I actually Walken. heard that on the radio just the other day. <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken, love that guy. Oh, my gosh. I would just love to sit and just have beers with that dude and just talk to him. Listen There's the, the scene in this movie with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. It's an extended scene. It's, what, maybe 10 minutes long. It's on YouTube, from what I understand. If, if, a list, if you're a listener and you want to get a feel for what this movie is like, go to YouTube and look at it. 
Are you about? Are you mean about the heritage of Sicilians? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and that's, that's one of the best there. damn scenes in gonna, the movie. I'm not going to repeat. Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay, folks. Um, I'm, we're going to jump over to this part right off the bat because we're going to talk about favorite scenes. And my favorite scene is a scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. And we really haven't talked about Dennis Hopper in this movie. But he's in it for, no. He does a great job. Again, a great job. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. You care about the guy. I mean, just in his little bit, you, you got a feel for where this guy is from, what he's doing, what his life's been like. He's a guy kind of down on his luck, but you know, he's, he's a solid guy just trying to get by, do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, he's basically, you know, your typical blue dollar guy, but the scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. And if, all I have to say is that if you are extremely offended by ethnic slurs, how should I say this? Yeah, <laughs> ethnic slurs, um, racial insensitivity. If you're very, you don't want to watch this scene. No, I'm not saying it's completely over the top, but when you're watching the scene, when you watch the movie and you see the scene and what is going on, you understand what Dennis Hopper's doing. And that, I thought, is a fantastic part because he's like, they're not going to let me out of here alive. They're going to torture me to death or, or torture me to give up you know, where my son is. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He was deliberately provoking Christopher Walken to kill him. Yep. And, and I mean, and it is a fantastic scene. And, I mean... The best parts of the movie are actually watching Christopher Walken's, uh, you know, expressions, you know, throughout the movie because a lot of times you don't really even hear, you know, you see Dennis uh, Hopper talking, but a lot of the camera angle is on Christopher Walken, so you just see his expressions and you could just see he's just getting more and more pissed. Well, you want to know a subplot that I saw in this, which is. You know, Walken has proclaimed that he is an expert on lying and detecting lies. Mm-hmm. And while he's listening to Dennis Hopper reel off his tail, I got the impression that he's going like, this guy's telling the truth. <laughs> and that just made him matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point. It, I thought that was probably the best scene of the movie. Oh, and it's two actors at the top of their game. Yes. Well, I, I mean, Dennis Hopper, I think at that point, probably by 93, he was literally on his, I mean, he was on the downward slope of his career. Walking, I think, was peaking yeah. a little bit. I'll tell you what, guys, there's another dude that we have to actually sit down and do a an homage uh, episode to him. Because there, I mean, there is a guy that's done some great work. He's out know? there. And I can I could listen to that dude talk all day long. <laughs> It just a, I don't know what it is about his voice, but it just cracks me up. It makes me laugh. All right, uh, now that we're talking about scenes, I want to mention something right off the bat. Mark, you talked about, you know, you thought Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, yeah, kind of, yeah, you know, they, you know, they kind of phoned it in, wasn't there. If you go back and look, I wonder who the hell was directing. I think Tony uh, Scott. I think Tony Scott actually took a pee break or said, you know what, I'm out for the day. <laughs> Assistant director, you run this scene. You know, I, I got the mistress in the in the trailer or something. The one scene, and I remember watching this because it stood out so badly. Like, okay, who's directing this? 
the part where you have Sean Penn, this first time he saw Sean Penn, Tom Sizemore, and they're talking to the chief of police about how, you know, we've got this guy, we bagged Sean Penn? Chris Penn. Chris Penn. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris Penn. Well, you know. I think think Chris is more the good Penn. Well, he's the dead Penn. Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore are talking to their their sector chief. All right. The scene when you have Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore talking with the chief about how, you know, we got this guy, when we want the collar and this and that. I, I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm thinking, right up to this point, this movie's good, and it's like, okay, who's directing this, and who the hell are these two yahoos? Did that scene kind of stand out? It just seemed horribly acted to me. I didn't have a problem with it. Really? Because I... Well, because the, they are trying to establish these guys as they were just... My, my take on, again, I'm, I'm reading in backstory, but Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore's detective char- characters, you know, they're doing nickel and dime, you're aroused and drunks and all this stuff, and all of a sudden, a big score drops in their lap, and they're just so excited, and it looks so easy and so clean, and they're going to just, you know, do it. And, yeah, they're kind of over the top in that scene, but I just, that's the, what I took it as. They're just ecstatic that, oh, my gosh, look at it. We're going to you know, make the big score. And we did not, it just fall in our laps. And I do appreciate that, and I understand that. It just seemed like the way that whole scene was acted out. Even the guy that was the chief who was, uh, I don't know his name off the top of my head. Michael Beach, he's a big character actor. Anybody that watches this will recognize him from 20 other movies. Yeah. But it just seemed like that entire scene just seemed to be somebody else was directing that scene, and it just well, it seemed yeah it seemed like it was extraneous to the movie too. Okay, it's in there, and I have to wonder because I've got I rented the extended edition if it even made it into the theatrical version. See, and that's the thing. I got the same thing. I got the you know the, the you know the director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah. Well, I I got the regular, and it 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 made it. Did it? Okay. Yeah. I think I think what Tarantino was trying to do is, you know, he is weaving together various groups and characters all coming to this ultimate, you know, confrontation. And he wanted to give, you know, a fair amount of attention to the police because the police are going to be there in the final scene. So he builds, you know, he wants to build up a little bit of the, you know, the background of these cops that are going to show up instead of just being anonymous guys busting in the door. Right. But, you know, one thing I want to go back to, Mark, is like what you said. You didn't feel for the characters. They left a you mm-hmm. know, trail of bodies. Yeah, but when you really look at who those two, you know, who those two were, when you look at who Clarence and Alabama were, I mean, you know, she was a she was a call girl that was on the job for four days, hooked up with him, who basically was managing a comic book store. You know, these are just two, you know, average folk who just kind of fell into, you know, they fell in the love. He tried to save her. Um, Things went bad. Yeah, they're not bad people. I mean, I don't, and it was one of those things where I don't, I mean, he, it's not like he deliberately stole the drugs. He thought it would, when he grabbed that suitcase, he thought it was her clothes that he was going to get, and he runs out. Next thing you know, it's full of, you know, a million dollars worth of coke. And it's like Let's just say they have no critical thinking skills. I, and well, I'm, I'm, the world is full of those people. That's exactly. I mean, we're talking two 40 watt bulbs in a hundred watt box. Yeah. Well, you know, and, I mean, they're... and I, it's just, I, and I, but again, I don't have a problem with that. The actors just were kind of like, again, I, I watched those two and I'm like, meh. 
I'm going to say Alabama's smarter than you think. She's tougher. She's tough, and she's. I, I think she's. She is smarter than you think. She's a fairly resourceful person here. Well, I think. Just, I, I think they both were. I think they're both very. Um, well, resourceful and critical thinking are two different things. They had no. They were just living for the moment, and like you said, there's a lot of those people, Ken. Yeah. But that also leads to, how shall we say it, imperial entanglements. Yes. They were. Well, if, if he just would have had his driver's license, none of this would have happened. Right. Yeah. They were scrappy. They were scrappy, and I like that. Yeah. They were scrappy. That's and what. They, you know, they were two schmoes that had their chance to score, and like so many times in movies, they went for it. Yep. That's pretty much it. They rolled the dice and, well, they got really lucky. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, let's see, guys. Let's move on to uh, soundtrack. What do you guys say the soundtrack of this movie? It was, you know, competent. It was, a, it was sort of an anachronism. It was, you know, this upbeat. Well, again, this is a romance. It was an upbeat, peppy soundtrack for the most part. Sort of techno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overlaid also with the um, with the fascination by. Christian Slater's character for Elvis and that whole period of late fifties, mid sixties rockabilly. True. Cause there was some of that in there too. So yeah, it was kind of that background music you introduced, Steve. It, it was, it was one of those where you're like, okay, I should be upbeat while we're getting ready to murder people. And, <laughs> and, and it worked in this just disjointed kind of way. Yeah. It, it's this Calypso music while we're carting around cocaine and trying to not get shot or well i'll tell you the, the, and the, i the liked it it was talking fun. about mark the flip side of that of the, i'll say the flip side of this movie came out within a year of this i think which was natural born killers oh it was yes. another young couple in love leaving a trail of bodies but they were the perpetrators and this was, you know, a different way of, of doing it. I mean, yes, there's a trail of body. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. What the hell do you expect? Right. What did you think of it, Steve? Did you like the music? You know, I actually did like the music. I liked, um, I did like the intro music that they play, um, you know, when you first start coming in and you hear Alabama talk. And I, I, there's something about that music. And is it, I don't know if it's Calypso or Caribbean. There's, you know. It's got a nice beat, and the kids can dance to it. I did like it. <laughs> um, some of the other music they played, I am not a big rockabilly fan. I, I have to confess, and I apologize to any of our uh, dedicated listeners who are rockabilly fans. I mean, I'll listen to it. It's not like I'm going to run screaming out of the room at, like it was rap music or something like that. But, uh, you know, again, not a big fan. But they didn't play it a lot of it, so I, I, I was fine with that. But yeah, I liked a lot of the, you know, the, the soundtrack, the background music, and just some of the stuff they threw in there. Uh, Tarantino has, um, and I, and again, I don't know if this is something that he wrote into the music or if this is something that the director threw in, but you, you hear music, um, and I've noticed in Tarantino movies, there's music that he throws in there. And it's contemporary stuff that we've uh, we've heard throughout, you know, when we were growing up and stuff like that. It's like, oh, gosh, I remember that song. But you, I, I couldn't tell you who the hell sang it, and I can't tell you the name of the song. But you know the song when you hear it. And there's something about that that 
Tarantino can do. I mean, he can pull these songs that um, make you remember things. And, and again, like I said, when I remember watching uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs and uh, Pulp Fiction, I, you know, a lot of those uh, songs that, um, you know, that they played, it's like you don't hear them every day. Um, actually, you probably don't hear them ever until you hear those uh, shows because this is stuff that they played on, uh, you know, you know, 73.5 AM back in 1975, because that's the kind of stuff that he throws into his uh, movies. Um, so I did, I enjoyed it really, really liked it. Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a bit offbeat in a good way. Yeah. Well, yeah that's, that's a Tarantino trademark, especially exactly. early Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. I do want to throw something out. I, I didn't get to mention it when you're asking about scenes, but over the years, I've talked a number of times to people about this movie and the final, I mean, the final confrontation. I won't go into detail, but Feather. I always thought that was a very well done. Okay. It's a shootout. It's a very well done shootout. Feathers. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's the idea that it's, it's like two gangs shooting it out. It's what? Four? Five? I mean, there's, there's it's, it's a multi-dimensional shootout. All in a small room, all in a short amount of time. Well, you know what that's a throwback to is I think that's an homage to early in the movie you find out that Christian Slater's character likes um, kung fu movies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the big throwdown that you always have in kung fu movies. Right. Exactly. You just have it with lots of lead in a very confined fa- space in this movie. No, but you know, the thing is, you know, I, I'm not going to give it away, but. You got the, the tension builds, you know, it, but it looks like things could be calmed down. It doesn't have to get violent. And then you just got one guy, Boris, who just is going like, I hate cops. <laughs> well, and Bronson Pinchot doesn't help. No, Bronson Pinchot doesn't help. And like, <laughs> it could have, it didn't have to go there, but it's like, and I understand where Boris and, you know, his buddy are coming from. It's like, hell, we're not going to back down. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. That is actually one of the parts of the movie that I actually kind of had an issue with. It's like, who's paying your bills? The guy that <laughs> told you to stand down, and you're just like, screw you. Well, he stands down and goes to prison. He was totally yeah. convinced he was going to get out of there. Yeah, well, you're... <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Yeah. Well, not quite. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eh, you know, this isn't going to work out right. You know, when you have a whole bunch of cops busting in, it's like, if you're going to shoot down a bunch of cops, you know what? You're never going to make it out of the country. So, but I don't know that, that one. Yeah. But he hated cops. Evidently he did. Well, he made that point. And it was, it was, did you see that there's a, I'll just say, you know, Saul Rubinex, uh, Donowitz character. When he said that, his face just drops like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing good is going to come of the next five minutes. Guys, before we move on to uh, Brother What You Drinking, I do want to uh, mention a little bit about the trivia of this uh, great and fantastic film. Uh, let's see. Uh, following the, quote, eggplant scene, Dennis Hopper was concerned about being shot by Christopher Walken. Spoiler with the prop gun so close to his head for fear of being burned by the barrel. Director Tony Scott assured him that the gun was 100% safe and even tested it by having the prop man fired against his, Tony Scott's head, 
Uh, but upon firing the prop gun, the barrel extended about a third of an inch, and Scott ended up on the floor with blood pouring from the wound. So, <laughs> you know what? I, I there's something I give actors credit for. I it, because it's being a gun owner and you know guns. It's like you just I don't even like having play guns pointed at me. It just <laughs> well, you keep having these tales out of Hollywood of prop yeah. guns killing, maiming, and otherwise surprising people. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. Well, hell, uh, what the hell's uh, uh, Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee, got killed yep. by that. I mean, you know, got killed with a prop gun. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the bro- oh shit, the hat that Brad Pitt wears in the kitchen sequence. Oh, he found abandoned on the boardwalk in Venice, California. Took it home, washed it, and wore it for the film. Love it. Like that. That's awesome. I'm glad you said he washed it. <laughs> oh, there's that. It fit. It did. Oh, it fit. Yeah. In every and he, way. And you know what? I th- I have to wonder. I think that was actually before that, you know, because you see guys wearing that shit all the time now, right? That was that was early on. Well, I don't yeah, know. That, that were was they, a trend. Were they wearing it? Trend. Did, were they, they wearing it? Were they? Okay. All right. The motel room fight scene between Alabama and Virgil, who was James Gandolfini, took five days to shoot. Good Lord. I bet they had to reset the set a couple times. There's a yeah. lot of parts going around in that I was going to say, you think? How many Elvis uh, heads do you think they had to recap? <laughs> uh, the character of Blue Lou Boyle was originally a speaking part with Robert De Niro as the definite favorite, but many cuts were made to... T- uh, Many cuts were made to Quentin Tarantino's script, including a scene featuring him. Instead, he briefly mentioned... I'm sorry... Instead, he is briefly mentioned as Vincent. Shit. I, I cannot speak Italian. Uh, Cacciotti, Ch- I think it is. Cacciotti? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Cacciotti, uh, who is uh, Christopher Walken's superior. So The F word and its derivatives are said 225 times, which you're going to find out when I do clips, folks, because it's a lot of bleeping. Gary Oldman met with Tony Scott about the project and told him he hadn't read the script. He had been sent, then asked Tony Scott what his part was like. Tony Scott told him, you're playing a white guy who thinks he's black and you're a pimp. Oldman immediately accepted the role. Of course he did. That's Gary Oldman. Yep. And did an excellent yes. job. Yep, yep. You couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't find a black guy that could do a better white guy playing a black guy. If there was a cam, if there was an Oscar for best cameo <laughs> in 1993, he would have won it. Absolutely! Oh my gosh! Uh, all right, Liam Neeson turned down the role of Vincenzo. I screwed that up. Vin, how the hell do you say Vincenzo? Thank you. Yeah, that's too. Vincenzo Cicati. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Liam Neeson turned down that role. Um, thank God, because I just didn't see that working. I can he see Liam Neeson pull it off. No. Yeah, but not as good as Walken. Walken's oh. just got this classy menace about him. Yeah, it's like when Christopher Walken walks in the room, it's like nothing good is going to happen. No. <laughs> no. With Liam Neeson, you figure we could have some. Liam Neeson could have just redone his uh, Virgil Gates uh, next of kin character. <laughs> there you go. So it could have been, we were to have, what, Kentucky Mafia versus Italian. There you go. There you Dick, go. Dixie Mafia. No. Uh, let's see. Gary Oldman based the character of Drexel 
on an actor named Willie Oneblood, who he later starred with Luke Besson's Leon, The Professional, which, gentlemen, is on the list. Classic movie. Oh, my gosh. If you want to see Gary Oldman at his finest, it's that. Tom Sizemore was originally cast as Virgil before eventually assuming the role of Cody Nicholson. Sizemore recommended James Gandolfini for the role of Virgil. Those two are interchangeable. Either one would have been fine in either role. Tom Sizemore could have been, you know, he can do yeah. Venice. He would have been fine. back then. Well, I'll tell you what, Gandolfini, I've never really seen him in anything. I didn't watch The Sopranos, but. Oh, he was good. Yeah, he was really good in that. I don't know. I think I've seen Tom Sizemore too much stuff. I mean, Sizemore can play certain roles, but I just don't see him playing that kind of creepy, menacing role. I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I just don't. I, I think he could have. Yeah, I guess he could. Especially at that point in his career. Yeah. Because you hadn't seen him a lot. Uh, let's see. Tony Scott spent a year searching for the right actress to play Alabama Whitman. He considered and rejected Bridget Fonda, Diane Lane, Kira Sedgwick, and Julie Roberts. Okay, I'm I'm thinking though any of those were considered. I mean, maybe Bridget Fonda. I was going to say Bridget Fonda could have done it. Yeah, Diane Lane. No, Kira Sedgwick. Really? I'm sorry. Well, this again, you're looking at the time period. These guys were all. Oh, you know, young, fresh, un, no, not, not to say unknowns, but barely knowns. Was Kira Cedric even acting back then? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 She's yeah, in, yeah. Uh, I think, Singles uh, was a, a big movie, came out right about the same time uh, with Bridget Fonda yeah. and, and another big ensemble cast. I, I mean, I'm, it's not a man cave movie, but I always like Singles. All right. I'll tell you what. I have to agree with this one. Here was one that I could have seen uh, him going with. Uh, Juliet Lewis was considered for the role of Alabama Whitman. And th- there you go. <laughs> that would have had to have been a flip of a coin there. Yeah, Juliet Lewis would have done fine in that role. I don't think Patricia Arquette has what I would call a great acting range. I think Juliet Lewis would have done a really good job. Yeah. All right, according to Dennis Hopper, the only words that were improvised in the scene with Christopher Walken were eggplant and cantaloupe. Got to see the movie to understand it. Yep. Last and certainly not least, and guys, I ain't getting this one. Drew Barrymore was the first choice for Alabama Whitman, but she was unavailable. In 1993, she was a big deal. Yeah, she was a big deal. Was Drew yeah. Barrymore old enough yep. to play that role? Oh, yeah. she barely. She was probably like but, 17 or 18. But she could have pulled it off. I can see why she was in the running. The Alabama Whitman character... You could have taken that and angled it a whole d- bunch of different ways. Right. I mean, Patricia Arquette did with it what she could. And, you know, I think she did an excellent job. I mean, I, I like the character. Uh, well, and I think yeah, those, it could have gone a different way. I think those two have a similar Patricia Arquette. I mean, the two actresses have a similar look about them. Yes, especially back then. Right. I don't know. I think Patricia Arquette looked. I mean, I get. They both I, had a, but they had a similar appeal back then in the nineties. They could have. She could have pulled it off. I'm not saying she would have been ideal, but again, I'm not a fan of Patricia Arquette in this movie, so I'm. Of all the people you mentioned, I don't. You know, I think Bridget Fonda would have done the next best job on it, but that's just well, me. Yeah, I would have said Bridget Fonda or uh, Julia. Julia Lewis. Yeah, yeah. For that role, for that type of character. 
But then it comes down to, okay, for Christian Slater, Mark, you know, Mark had issues with Christian Slater. There's probably a bunch of other guys they could have gotten for that too, but I don't think they did. I think they pretty much just picked him and that was it. Yep. I agree. Well, he was at the height of his power at that point. Yeah, he was up and coming. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that is it with trivia, gentlemen. So it is now time to move on to one of our favorite parts of the show. And that is brother, what you drinking? Mark. Alrighty. I will follow up on a beer recommendation for a brewery that, um, that Jeff recommended last week. He recommended St. Peter's out of England. And I believe he enjoyed the porter. And I picked up tonight the St. Peter's cream stout. Steve, you've got to try this stout. Mm. It is a cream stout. It's kind of got a chocolate flavor to it. It's won multiple awards. I can't read the small print because my eyes, my eyesight is shut. <laughs> but, oh, God, it's like five-point print. But it is an, a very rich, creamy stout. It's more on the darker, heavier flavor, a little hint of coffee, more of a chocolate flavor. But there's, it's not a chocolate stout, but it has a hint of more of a hint of um, chocolate and coffee than edging towards. It's not near the um, the Guinness range. That's kind of on the opposite side of a lighter stout. This is a little darker. Really well balanced, very flavorful, very enjoyable to drink. So, you know, between Jeff with their porter and myself with their cream stout, St. Peter's Brewery, they have uh, some other lighter beers, which we'll sample later as I continue with the podcast. But I got to tell you, if you find it, and again, very pretty bottle, um, my wife will probably turn this into a flower pot or something, put flowers in it. <laughs> but um, I enjoyed the beer, um, outstanding beer, and I it's about a pint, Steve, and you can get it for five bucks for our listeners. If you like a stout, I highly recommend this one. It's very well done. Very nice, uh, Ken. I'm jumping up ahead of you. Uh, Go ahead, because we got something. I got something special here. That, Diesel uh, Punk. No, at, well, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a little. Well, I shouldn't say disappointed. It's um, here. I got to turn the light on here because I can't even see the damn bottle. Um, no, because it's dark in the in, in the man cave, and I've got the lights on, and or I'm, I'm sure. I got the lights off and uh, the bottle's dark. You got the lava lamp on? I do have the lava lamp on, but it's not uh, shining enough light here. Uh, I went out today with uh, with my dear and lovely wife. We went out uh, for early early evening dinner and uh, stopped at uh, Kroger because we had to pick up a few things. You know, Snowstorm had the stock up on... uh, Bread, eggs, and uh, milk, so we can make French toast for the rest. Of the <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> so we had to do that. No, so I stopped by and I was walking by and I'm like, oh, look at that! And it is from the uh, it's from the Miller Brewing Company. Yes, I, I did pick up a six pack of Miller because I saw this bottle here and it said Miller. Mean, wait, wait, you mean Miller as in Miller Genuine Draft? Uh, the the same brewery that the makes. Same. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. All right, so just I, clarifying. And mm-hmm. I picked up this beer. It's called Fortune. It's a it's a very dark bottle. It comes in for Miller. It comes in a whopping six point nine percent. And if you damn, my, if you can't tell by my voice, I've been having a few of these. It's it, it, it's okay. What is it? Is it an amber? Is it? Uh, it's kind of a 
No, it's what the hell is this damn thing? Doesn't <laughs> you're drinking it. I am. It's it's kind of a, it's like a really heavy lager, to be honest with you. But uh, it's not a Kolsch. It's not crisp. Like no, it's not a Kolsch. It's okay. Um, you could definitely drink it in the summer. You get this thing nice and nice up. It's not real heavy. I mean, the alcohol content, like I said, you know, for Miller, six point nine percent. The fact that they actually put that on the bottle, they're trying to tell you, hey guys, it's, drink. But this it's thing. not a pilsner. It's more of a lager. Yeah, it's more of a lager. Um, okay. It's a little darker in color than most of the stuff that I've seen coming out of Miller. It's not bad. You know, for the price, pick up a couple of six-packs of these. You know, it, it, this would be a great summer beer. Okay. Get these things iced up. They're not too bad. Would I go out and buy it again? I'll, I'll get them for the summer. It's so good sitting on the porch. It's yeah. a hot summer night. Slam it back kind of beer. Exactly. Okay. Well, you know, there's a place for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because you don't like a lot of the beers that we, you know, that we showcase on here. I mean, they're, you know, you could have a couple of them, but it's not the ones that you're going to be pounding all night because, well, you'll be passed out after about three of them, three or four. So, so what you're really trying to tell us is they were out of PBR. <clears throat> well, actually, they they were out of PBR, and okay. I, was, I was very upset. I actually wrote a letter to the uh, management and said, uh, <laughs> "What the hell is going on, guys?" Uh, let's see. Moving on. Gentlemen, there is a special segment of Brother What You Drinking, and it's called... It's now time for Catching Up With Ken. My darling, I can't get up your love, Gee, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, what in the hell do you think I'm drinking? <laughs> Vanilla vodka and Diet Coke. Oh, my gosh. About a half a glass of, that's uh, 16-ounce glass, about half of vanilla vodka and the other half of Diet Coke. But, Ken, tell us, we need to catch up with you. What, <laughs> what has been going on Well, in Ken's in, world? In Ken's world, again, I went down and gave a talk down in Rising Sun, Indiana, uh, for Purdue University. Uh, that was kind of nice. And I spent the night in a riverboat. And I got to say... Riverboats are kind of depressing and demoralizing. Walked around, it's just claustrophobic. But uh, the, the, the probably a highlight of my week in terms of excitement so far was going to, I went to a cocktail party Wednesday night and knocked down about six rum and cokes. And then had to cut out for our a board meeting, which I'm, I'm the treasurer of a, a organization. And so I, uh, Staggered in and, you know, gave my treasurer's report. They actually thought it was kind of funny. Uh, what, you're staggering or the report? Well, was, you know, obviously I, I was half lit and having a good time. And they, they were actually one of the other, the, the secretaries go like, wow, I, li- I like you more this way. I mean, you need to come to more meetings like this. So <laughs> I, I do have to point out something here. Okay. This has, as I said earlier, my life is, you know, you guys are married. I'm single, and right now I'm not seeing anybody. So, you know, it's Valentine's Day. Many people get all depressed about Valentine's Day. And I was online looking, and I was at one of my favorite blogs. And the, the person on the blog is talking about, you know, the, the, the difficulties of finding a good relationship these days and how when you're single and, you know, you're having these difficulties, you got to buck up and keep trying and try different techniques. And then there's a picture I'm looking at. And it's a picture of Adolf Hitler and Ava Brown sitting there smiling with the logo 
even Hitler had a girlfriend. You are literally less desirable than Hitler. <laughs> wow. So that's that's where keep keep catching up with Ken is, you know. And also, I'll just say it's it's another snowmageddon, freezing, slushy, crappy day out there. So I'm fine. Life is good. But uh, you know, usually I'm sitting there and I've got had an exciting week. This week, not so exciting. Sorry, listeners. I mean, I know for those for the people that are living vicariously through Ken, you're going to have to hold off. I will strive to do better next week well mark if you makes uh if it makes you feel any better uh after my wife did that uh voiceover for the uh catching up with ken thing she said that's your valentine's day present i'm going to bed don't touch me <laughs> so there you go uh <laughs> love you man yeah oh that's nothing nothing says marriage like like valentine's don't touch me <clears throat> i got a bottle of uh maker's mark out of it so that's that's all that counts all right folks that is it with uh brother what you drinking so we are now moving on to clips our favorite part of the show and guys i've got a bunch of clips here uh let's see uh number one it's just after i see a movie i like to go get a piece of pie and talk about it it's sort of a little tradition i have do you like to get pie after you see a good movie yeah i love to get pie after oh yeah no double entendre there I had no idea what they were talking about. I love mm. pie. Mm. Coconut cream? Mm. Nothing wow. like a good pie. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Uh, let's see. Number two. You got a boss, right? Yeah. Hey, what's his name? Lance. That's him. He called the place where I work. He ordered a girl for you. He said he wanted you to get laid. See, you didn't get out much, and it was your birthday and all. I wonder if he's hiring. <laughs> Yeah, I never, I mean, no, I've had various bosses, but that was never part of the compensation plan. Uh, no, no. I did get a nice match into my 401k, but I mean, not the same. <laughs> exactly. No. Oh, gosh. All right. Uh, I should probably qualify some of these folks is that um, for our, some of our female listeners out there, wow, God, if you're listening to this show at this point, what the hell am I even warning you about? Uh, here, number three. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. I mean, I can't tell you how relieved I was when you took off your dress. You, you didn't have a dick. <laughs> I, wow. I, forgot, I forgot about that, right? Because I actually face-planted on the keyboard. I forgot that line. That's awesome. Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see. Here's where you actually hear Gary Oldman. I mean, Gary Oldman's got lines, a lot of lines in this movie, but... Unfortunately, they're very long. Uh, so this is the uh, the shortest one I could get for clips. You have a seat, boy. You have your sofa egg roll. We got everything here from a little eye Joe to damn if I know. And it's one of those where you almost have to listen to him a couple times. You're like, what the hell was he saying? Well, right. he had to get he has a he's striking up this cadence, and you got to be able to like get in the groove of it. Once you get in the groove, you're okay. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point, Ken. That that yep. much sums it up. This is, I call this number, uh, this is number five, I call this Tasty Burger, and this is right out of Pulp Fiction. I know, it's probably the best goddamn f***ing hamburger I ever had in my entire life. I've never had a hamburger taste this good. Come on, eat something, you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, was, it, was it a Royale with cheese? 
they didn't say, but I wonder if the if it was a big Kahuna burger. So oh, mm, the big Kahuna burger. Because mm-hmm. right. your wife, because your wife is a vegetarian. <laughs> All right, uh, number six. Do you know who I am, Mister Wally? I give up. Who are you? The Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. You tell the angels in heaven you never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. <laughs> I could listen to Christopher Walken read the phone book. That voice, there's something about it. Uh, yeah. I, hard to describe. Okay, here is uh, Michael Rappaport. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's been in a bunch of stuff, character actor, and if you're watching Justified, as we are, uh, you'll know him as uh, Daryl Crow. Daryl. Daryl, the big brother, the big brother. The other. I have to point out. I, I mean, I'm sad that Jeff isn't here because Michael Rappaport was actually one of the main characters in Deep Blue Sea. Uh, oh my God! You're uh, right. Oh my God! You are correct, sir. Oh, one of Jeff. We to our listeners, we just want to all let you know that Jeff Muncy, one of his favorite movies, is Deep Blue Sea. He has it on DVD. He has the director's cut. He has been lobbying for us to do the movie, but we just can't give in to his demands. Actually, you know what? I think we are going to do that. That will be episode. Oh. That will be episode one hundred for Jeff. For Jeff, gentlemen, we <sighs> do Deep Blue Sea for Jeff. So let it be written. So let it be done. <laughs> well, there you go. Now we're kidding. We're never going to do that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Psych. <laughs> All right, number six. Uh, no, I already did that one. Number seven, this is Michael Rappaport. I'm sorry. You got a hell of a lot of cocaine here, man. I know. Do you realize how much f***ing coke you have here? Oh, tell me. I don't know, but it's a f***ing lot. <laughs> well, that, that clarifies it. Thanks. Yeah, pretty much. He is a starving actress, or a starving actor. He doesn't move in circles where they deal with massive amounts of cocaine. He just knows people that do. Right. Uh, I'm going to play this quote here, not because um, I'm just going to play it because it made me laugh. Elliot, do I look like a beautiful blonde with big tits and an ass tastes like French vanilla ice cream? Who thinks of that? Oh, wait, Quentin Tarantino. There you go. All right. I actually called this one driving with Muncie. Jeff, I just want you to know there are times when you and I are talking on the phone after work about the next podcast or something like that. And we'll be chatting along, and all of a sudden, this will come out. Hey! Choose a f***ing lane! No, not you. Just some idiot. Don't give me that finger! I'll f***ing have you killed! You're right. That is Jeff. That, I, that is so Jeff. I am not making that up. Also followed by, shit, I just spilled my hot chocolate. I am not kidding, folks. I when, as soon as I saw that scene, I'm like, "Holy shit!" It's Muncie driving in the car, and I'm like, oh, "We'll be talking on the phone," and all of a sudden, all you'll just hear, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> oh, I know people. Oh my gosh! All right, that's it. He's not here. He can't defend himself. He'll be. What's he defending himself from? It's the truth. <laughs> it is the truth. You can't. All right, number ten. Yeah. Elliot. Yeah. Say something. 
Okay. Hi. How are you? My name's Elliot, and I'm with the Cub Scouts of America. <laughs> We're selling uncut cocaine to get to the Jamboree. Just talk. I'm sorry. Regular Elliot, stop fucking around. That's when they have Elliot wear a wire somewhere. Yep, absolutely. Uh, this one is um, for those of us who are all members of the uh, National Rifle Association. This is our motto. The one thing this last week has taught me, it's better to have a gun and not need it than to need a gun and not have it. And there you go. That's, he's right. That he's was, right. It was sort of pounded in. Pretty much. Actually, literally pounded in. Mm-hmm. Early in the movie. This is a little bit of inside baseball, but for our very good and dear friend, Tony Gallardi, if you are listening to this, this one's for you. you guys are what? I said, come out from behind the couch, you f***ing guinea now! Look at him, I said, come out from behind the couch, okay, capisce? <laughs> Oops, I drop on my bullet. Tony, if you listen to this one, we love you, man. That was all for you. When I saw that scene, I'm like, I called it the Gallardi scene. So there we go. Oh, gosh. Uh, very well done, Steve. That's so dead on. Yeah. And again, listeners, some of the stuff's inside baseball, but uh, one of our very good and dear friends that we've known for many years is. Uh, about as uh, olive oil Italian as you can get, and he is a great guy, and we always blow him shit, and he appreciates that kind of stuff, and he's probably over there laughing his ass off right now. And he makes really, really good beer. Oh, my God. He's the one that got me started brewing. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. All right, folks, that was it with clips. Now we are moving on to uh, uh, the best part of the show, the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Number one. Did anyone jump through a window? Did anybody go through windows in this I'm going to say Alabama got thrown through a shower door made of glass. Well, well. Well. And into a mirror made of glass, shattering uh, it. But that wasn't through a window. No. We, we, I'm I don't to think, think anybody jumped through a window. No, and nobody got shot through a window. You're like blown out through a window. I don't recall yeah. that. And we're, we're having to reach for it because it's what this is the kind of movie where like somebody had to got had jumped to. out of. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't, don't think, think so. so. No, I think that this was a rare movie where we did not have anyone getting blown, shot, or jumping through a window. Which is kind of shocking because you would have thought this is the movie that that's like defined for. I mean. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean that's wow. Mm. All right. Uh, let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? No. No. Yeah, there's only one, like, female role, and that's Patricia Arquette, and you needed her. This was a very testosterone-laced kind of movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a lot of women. I mean, the speaking roles for women were few and far between. I mean, it's... No. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. All right. Um, Let's see. Number three. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? She could have pulled it off in 93. I second that motion. I third it. She could have definitely pulled it off. She would have been fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Splayed across that uh, pink Cadillac. Oh, dude. Well, I'm going to say this, though. 
Tawny Katane is a pretty delicate woman. I don't think she could have taken the beating that Alabama took. I don't know. She's pretty spunky. I think yeah. you sell her a little short, Ken. Yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe. It's, we'll never know. But, yes, she could have done it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she could have. All right. Uh, let's see. Number uh, whatever. Was there an AT montage in this movie? Ken, what do you think? Not any classic AT montage, but I do think the final, you know, climactic conflict was reminiscent. It was kind of montage-ish, and it was the clash of styles. It wasn't like one format. You know, do do you understand what I'm saying? You had different different groups with different uh, methods of approaching the problem. Yeah, but they whole cobbled together something to get the bad guys. Yeah, not really. There was none of that in this movie. I'd well, except no. at one level, the entire thing was just cobbling together because as uh, Christian Slater said towards the end, he's only here because he bullshitted somebody. It, I, no. The answer is no. No. I, I, no, I agree. No. We're all there. It's a no. No. No, we're not. You think there is? I think there actually is. All right. What is it? I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was a scene. The mafia guys come up. They go into the room, and they got the guns all laid out on the bed. Everybody's loading up the weapons and everything. Yes. There you go. There's your yeah, point. I'll give it to you. It's a brief scene. You're right. It's a brief yeah. scene. It's not long, maybe about 30, 40 seconds, but it's it's all the clips going in and Shotgun shells. Shotgun shells in. and bags. Oh, and, and they've got more weapons. <laughs> they got more weapons than they got guys to hold them. They got more weapons than they got hands. <laughs> well, this act, this movie actually defeats a stereotype, which, you know, a, a stereotype of movies like this is the endless magazines or, you know, endless shooting pistol, where, right. you know, you never see people reloading or bringing ammo. Th- those guys brought ammo. Oh, it was a zombie fest hunt ammo. I yeah. mean, they, they did. They had bags of ammo. <laughs> bags of ammo. Bags of bags of ammo is us. Yes, Steve. I will. I will. What do you think, Ken? I will second his. I agree. Motion. Yes. It fits. It fits. All right. There you go. Done. Could have been more developed, but it fits. Nice catch. Thank you. So let it be written. So let it be done. All right, uh, gentlemen. The last. Checklist. And so it begins. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? Yes. Slover, I was counting on you because I knew Mr. Uh, I'm having the night with my wife, uh, Valentine's Day, Muncie, uh, Cantaloupe, is... Uh... <laughs> I thought he was a kumquat. <laughs> well, there's probably that, too. Well, this does have a big... A big cast, and it was set in 93, which is about the right time frame. Well, it's, I mean, it was like right at the start, but uh, Mark? There is one actor, hmm. Stephen Gonzalez. He was one of the police officers near the end of the movie, and he played a news anchor in season three, the... Um, the uh, episode called Passing Through Gethsemane, which was when we introduced the monks 
and we had the Black Rose Killer. Oh, yes. I remember that dude. He was one of the news anchors, kind of a square-faced, little bit of a receding hairline. Mm -hmm. But for a big cast like this, that was the only actor I could find. But yes. Good call. Nice. Very well done, sir. I can pitch it. Oh, my job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you are the mini Minosa of this podcast. <laughs> uh, bite me. Yeah, that is awesome. There you go. Awesome. There you go, Jeff. I I carried your water for you this week. Hope you're having a good time. Well, yeah. We're here slaving away on this podcast. So right. you can have a date with your wife and probably have fondue. <laughs> Well, my, my my evening's been about the same. I mean, I did a load of laundry. <laughs> Ooh, nothing says romance by fluffing and folding whiteies. That's right. Well, no, actually, I'm doing the darks, but that's oh. a whole story. Oh, my you know, the best part is Jeff's going to come home all hoping for a romantic night, and the dog's going to be in the middle of the bed, and the pillows are going to be shredded, and it's going to be raining feathers. Yeah. Hi, Dad. Oh, goodness gracious. All right, folks, that is it with the checklist. We are now moving on to the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. Mr. Roney. This is a well-written movie. What I thought for what it is, as we've said, lots of characters, big cast. Uh, I'm not going to say extremely well-defined characters, but memorable characters. I get a lot of characters. Even sort of the guys in the background sort of stand out to me. So I really did like the dialogue and the interplay between the characters. When you come into this for the first time watching it, it's a compelling story that has lots of surprises, weaves a lot of, you know, humor and dark humor in like, you know, you would expect a Tarantino movie to, to be. We mentioned earlier that this was done right about the same time he was doing, you know, getting ready to do Pulp Fiction. And it's quite reminiscent of Pulp Fiction but it didn't do that well in the box office. It doesn't get a lot of play. So I'm suspecting a lot of people may not have seen it. It is for us kind of unique because it is a, it's a love story. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a romance. Uh, we don't usually do romantic movies, but this is, I mean, at, at, at its core, it's simple, straightforward romance and love. And, you know, that's, that's what's driving these people, as Mark said, leaving a trail of blood and bodies everywhere they go. Having said all that, in terms of rating it, I suggested this. I suggested it because, I mean, this is Valentine's Day. We're recording this, and we don't usually do romances. And I thought this would be a romance that would fit. Uh, I've always liked this. As I've said, it's got a lot of good characters, a lot of good scenes. I've always liked the Christopher Walken-Dennis Hopper confrontation, as well as the big final shoot out at the end with all that i'm going to give it a solid nine on my 10 scale rating wow nice mr mark what are your thoughts um you know it's a classic tarantino vehicle in the sense of the writing um tony scott i think takes it a little bit of a different direction but it's got all the signatures um of of Quentin Tarantino all over it. And as we've mentioned earlier, it does feel like it was, it feels like another part of Pulp Fiction that was occurring 10 blocks down and five blocks over. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it, it is a, it, it's classic Tarantino. If you like Tarantino 
if you like his style of writing, if you like his characters, and you understand that it is going to be violent and there's going to be um, a liberal dosage of the F-bomb, then you'll enjoy this movie. As I said earlier, I don't think the two leads can carry this movie as well as perhaps some other people could have, especially with the actors, even ones who were getting started or this was one of their early roles, who really have more chops as actors. Uh, but it's a great ensemble piece. It truly is a cameo appearance movie, and it's great to see a lot of these people wanting to take part and have some great cameo roles. Um, if you like any of these actors, you'll like this movie. Um, if you like Tarantino, you'll like this movie. It's not one of those that I'm going to give as high a rating as Ken. I enjoyed it, but I, as I mentioned, I do have, I, I did not find anything compelling about the two leads or the characters they played but it is worth a rental um definitely uh if you like this type of stuff and i think that a lot of great character actors that people see as we mentioned one of them's in justified last right now they will see them in some other roles and really enjoy them um definitely worth checking out i'm glad ken recommended it i hadn't seen it in 15 years or so um, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Solid movie. Um, and if you like this sort of thing, you'll like it. But um, not one of my favorites, but uh, definitely worth a watch. And I'm glad we did it. Very nice. My thoughts on this movie haven't seen in a long time. I remember when I first saw it, I enjoyed it. It's been years for me. Uh, when Ken recommended this to do it for Valentine's Day, I was like, yeah, why in the hell are we doing it for Valentine's Day? But then watching it again, I was like, oh, this is made, it made a lot of sense. Very, uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I understand where Mark's coming from. I did like Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. I thought they did a fine job. I thought everybody else did a fine job in this one. I thought the writing is good. Again, big fan of uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, writing. The movies that he either directs or produces, very top-notch, very well done. This one in particular, really enjoyed it. I'm going to give this one... I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I really did enjoy this movie. It's a lot of fun. Honestly, because a lot of the actors that are in it, uh, a lot of them that are mainstream now, maybe not so much then, but pretty much now. And you really got to see some, uh, some good performances. So eight and a half for me. That's my review. So that is it for the reviews. And one thing I want to do on this episode, and I have been. Very remiss, and I do apologize to a lot of our listeners who have been uh, uh, commenting and uh, you know making posts on our Facebook page. There have been uh, several comments that have been made and uh, suggestions for movies that I really should have been referencing on these episodes. So one of them was um, uh, this is going back, and I apologize uh, for Brian Bean. Uh, he told us that we should do a very special episode uh, where we uh, gloss over movies that really don't fit the format of a podcast, but they're movies that uh, are important to us. Kind of do kind of a montage, if you will, of uh, you know different movies, pick different movies that we like, and you know just talk about them. I kind of like the idea. Jeff and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, sounds like a great idea. I mean, we have mm -hmm. to we'll have to look at it. Mark, I don't know if you saw the uh, the post by our very good and dear friend, Darren Allen. Mm -hmm. uh, he had made a comment that uh, he actually found uh, 
a uh, a beer that we were uh, talking about in one of our earlier podcasts from uh, Trader Joe's. Okay. Shit, now I can't find it. I was looking for it. I can't find it. Darwin, Good help job. me out. Good job, dumbass. Yeah. No, but he did. He found a he. It was one of the ones that you were talking about. Oh, oh, like, it was one of the holiday beers that yeah. they, they. Yeah. I think he said it was like a. He said it, he'd forgotten he had it, and it was like a year old or something. Yeah, it was like a year old. So. Oh yeah, they're good. Enjoyed it. Uh, one of our other longtime listeners, uh, Matt Wolski, said, "How about doing the Alamo?" And he wondered if we would do both versions, the John Wayne one and the Billy Bob Thornton one. I like that idea. I don't know. About I did too. I think that would be a great review, a compare and contrast. Do you think we could do both at the same time? Oh, yeah. You just sure. have a segment. You just break it down and go, okay, let's talk about this part and then compare it to the, the other movie. Oh, yeah, I think that would be an excellent movie to do. Okay. Yeah, well, well let's do it. We'll, we'll, it would be yeah. our first John Wayne if we did it. Really? Yeah. yeah we be... haven't done a John Wayne. Yeah, we haven't done John Wayne. How is that possible? I, I blame Steve. <sighs> Here we go. Well, you know what? Uh, actually, it's going way back in the day, but uh, last year, actually, our good friend uh, Mr. Allen asked us about a John Wayne movie. But uh, there you go. Obviously, he's got a coonskin cap in this movie. Obviously, I snubbed him on that one. So yeah, me, but I, I don't bear you any ill. That's, That's okay. Right. Yeah, I don't bear you ill well either. <laughs> uh, great suggestion, and we are going to do that because I have I saw the John Wayne version. I've never seen the uh, the Billy Bob Thornton one. Billy Bob Thornton was in an Allen mm-hmm. movie. He played he played uh, he played Crockett. Good oh, job. It was, it was a good movie. It's a, we both saw that together. Yeah, Mark Jared. and I went and saw it. Great movie. Very That's, well done. That should be interesting. Good movie. Oh gosh. And All great right. music. Great music in that movie. Really? Okay. Oh my gosh. Yes. All right. I'm intrigued. We are going to get this on the docket very soon. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got um, I, I, we have another comment uh, from uh, Mr. Frank Beecham. He said, "Guys, what's it like having the best movie review podcast? Keep up the good work. Cheers." Well, that oh. was very kind words. I'm kind of wondering. It's like, did he send that to the wrong uh, podcast? <laughs> I'm... <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sir. That's that's very generous. Yes, thank um, you. Yeah. I'm like... not sure if that means the bar is so low. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe I need to quit drinking. Or Ken needs to drink more. But that's very generous and very thoughtful, and we're happy that you you find us entertaining, amusing, and somewhat educational on rare occasion. Yes. Um, We're having fun, folks, and and we're glad you stick around with us because we just feel like it's a bunch of guys sitting around the bar talking and bullshitting movies, and that's really what Steve came up with, and that's what we're doing every Friday. Yeah, this is actually a high point of our week. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people don't have – you know, they come home on a Friday night, and there's nothing really to do, and we we always have this. Of course, I bail out half the time and leave these guys to do the dirty work. Because, you know, we can't keep up with Ken. Actually, I'm, and your attendance record on this podcast is it's it's, up. It's pretty top notch. It's getting better, but it, it also is because I'm actually rearranging things and saying, "Oh, I can't do anything on a Friday night. I, I've got the podcast," and then people look at me like, "You freak!" <laughs> Most people go, "Ken does a podcast." Ooh, ooh. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, the 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 top email I have to or message I got on our Facebook page, I have to give to our Again, our good friend Darren Allen, 
don't know if you guys read this, but I remember reading it and I was laughing my ass off because of the Skyfall episode we did last week. He mm-hmm. said, I have a new award to add. <laughs> I have a new award to add to the podcast. I call it the Chevy. I base it on Chevy Chase portraying Gerald Ford as he tries to walk and stumbles, trips, flops, and finally crashes all over trying to walk away from the podium. I believe Steve did an amazing job that week. <laughs> Thanks for the laughs. I yeah, live to, you, I live to serve. You you do or you did earn the Chevy for that one. Okay. Live from Man Cave. Because yeah, I'm sorry, I I don't speak foreign languages. I have no idea how to hell to uh, say Javier, and I've been practicing that all day. Just so you know, <laughs> sons of bitches. You couldn't say Vincenzo tonight. So. <laughs> there you go. Rest my case. I did have a week to prepare for it, so that's oh, why. that's right. That's why. All I can say is very cosmopolitan. <laughs> <laughs> Point ten. You will forgive me if I do not shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Oh, so. So we uh, that that's it for mail, folks. And uh, keep it coming, keep the mail coming. Yeah, keep the mail coming, folks. We we enjoy it. Uh, and I do apologize. I am remiss. I do want to give kudos and uh, recognition out to out there to all the people that are listening to this show because, like I said, this is uh, what I refer to as four guys in their basement productions. This is a shoe you got to trademark that one. I should trademark it. This is a, a shoe street budget. We are just doing this for shits and giggles, not making money off of it. Just want everybody to enjoy our commentary. Go out and see the movies that we're uh, uh, recommending. That's all this is about. Honestly, it's not a major production. We're just trying to have fun. So that is it. That's it with mail review and our uh, commentary about Man Cave Move Review. So that's it, folks. Uh, stay tuned for us next week. We're going to be talking about, you know what, it's going to be a surprise. because Yeah, don't, no, don't, yeah, don't, yeah, don't. Because we're, we're just, it's. No, you'll curse it. Somebody's going to screw it up. It's going to be Netflix, Amazon, Dragons, Dogs you. and Cats, something will mess it up. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Move Review, episode 98. Uh, check us out on our website at mancavemovereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Move Review. Leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show. We're also on Facebook at Man Cave Move Review and on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. I'm your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark, don't call me Clarence, Slover. Steve. You're not a whore. You're a male prostitute. There's a difference, you know. And (laughs) I should be offended, but for some reason I'm not. It's Valentine's Day. What else do you expect? I I don't expect anything less. And also saying farewell, adieu, and au wiedersehen is our... uh, I said au ver very well in this one. And au wiedersehen. And our video saying is our other good dear friend, Ken, I like pie, Roni. You guys want a bowl? <laughs> Can I have some coffee instead? Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think I blew a bowl.
level of muscle in my eye. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review episode 98. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Stick with us until next week. Ciao. All right, folks, that is it with Man Cave Movie Review, episode 98. Check us out at our website at uh, Man Cave Movie Review. Man Cave Movie Review. Well, on some occasions, yes, I would say that's appropriate. Kiss my ass, Lord. <laughs> All right, so that's it for Man Cave Movie Review. <laughs> See, now you're making me laugh, you f- You can never f- finish this thing 99 episodes i'm trying to do it but you're no, you can't man cave movie redo i blame you jeff's right how many times have you had 98 98 episodes and you still can't close this thing out <sighs> huh? i'm showing nothing but respect steve if there's anybody i can count on to be my viceroy will oh be he's a kiss ass why he's gonna be the vice? He's your Bronson. He's your Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> Is it Pinchot or Pinochet? I don't know. I don't know. I, I I have not yet done that whole sweater over the shoulder thing from 1989. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Seriously, did anybody actually even do that? Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. That was a big thing back then. It was a whole preppy handbook look. Oh my. Especially God. with the vomit stains all all along the sleeve. <laughs> there was that. That's a good luck. Oh, that's a good luck. All right, uh, three, two, one.